song of uh, I think the song was called uh, I get knocked down but I get up again and it's all about the Jews all the Jews they they get kicked out of our countries and yet they keep on managing to come back in no matter how often we kick them out they come back in that song is posted up on Eurofolk radio one of the posts I did a couple of days ago and uh, so I invite you to go there and uh, check it out. The post is entitled, They Get Kicked Out, But They Get In Again. And it also includes a, a, a song called The Goyim No, another good song about <laughs> the relationship between the Goyim and the fake Israelites called Jews. All right, so uh, we're glad to be back on the air again after about 10 days of problems. Uh, Paul uh, took care of the background program that wasn't working correctly and was preventing us from doing a lot of shows. So I think we're all good to go, all problems fixed. And this is the new scheduled show, which I talked about last night on Yahweh's Covenant People. And this is Genesis to Revelation. And this is uh, merely a test show because we're going to uh, start Officially, on October 31st, with Stock Trader Dan and myself doing the entire book, however many years it takes us, probably the second coming will occur before we get done with the series, but uh, we'll start with Genesis, because if you don't know uh, how to understand Genesis, especially the first four chapters, actually the first five chapters, which are all about the two bloodlines, and then the rest of the Bible is tracing, well, prophetically and the history of those two bloodlines until the Day of Judgment. Because the solution, the situation, does not get resolved until the Day of Judgment. And as the song says, they get kicked out, but they get in again. And they're, how are we ever going to keep them out? The only way to keep them out is by the second coming because uh, we we just don't have enough power. Those of us who are truly awake do not have enough power to eliminate the parasite. To eliminate the parasite, that is the name of the game. But uh, who can make war against the beast? So welcome everybody. This is Pastor Eli James. This is Genesis to Revolution, a uh, Revelation rather. October 24, 2020. And we are good to go. All signs are go. The good ship, Eurofolk Radio, has taken off and is now cruising around the planet, around the universe. Our signal is strong. But today, we're going to talk about uh, an article by Sheldon Emery, because the concept of Jerusalem is absolutely uh, crucial to the understanding of the Bible because the word Jerusalem is not only a, the literal city, but it also has a prophetic significance. 
in that it is a reference primarily to wherever the Israelites are. More importantly, wherever the remnant is. And here in the title, I put a link in the chat room, The Old Jerusalem is Not the New Jerusalem by Pastor Sheldon Emery. And in the heading, the title, he highlights the USA in the middle of the word Jerusalem in red and capitalizes it, Jerusalem, USA, Lem. Historic Jerusalem is not prophetic Jerusalem. And you'll find this on anglo-saxonisrael.com under Bible Commentary. And it goes like this. Quoting Isaiah 2.3 For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. There is probably more confused preaching in recent years on Jerusalem than on any other name from Scripture except perhaps Jew. (laughs) Okay. Scripture, such as that quoted above, is used by a great many uh, Christian ministers to mean the literal city of Jerusalem in Old Palestine. They say that their their God is going to restore his Israel people and begin to set up his earthly kingdom from which Jewish missionaries will go out to preach to the gospel all over the world. Of course, that will never happen. Jewish There's no such thing as a Jewish missionary. There are Christian missionaries, Christian Israelite missionaries, such as yours truly. Fortunately, the internet... Uh, allows me to reach the entire planet without having to leave my office. So I could, but I do actually go around the country preaching to local congregations. So uh, I think in that sense, I'm definitely a missionary. But the 99% of my ministry is right here in my office, uh, broadcasting from the City of Chicago, which somehow is still has still managed to avoid becoming another Detroit, but with our current uh, so-called mayor, uh, Lori Ledfoot, we're uh, heading in that direction fast. But I think maybe even uh, COVID nineteen has slowed things down a bit. So we'll see. You know the the. Uh, Voluntary vaccine program is supposed to start sometime in October. Uh, hasn't started yet. We've only got a week left of October, but we know that uh, there won't be any vaccine developed because there are there are no vaccines that actually work. In any case, that's the situation we're in right now as part of these end times that we're in. Okay, so getting back to Sheldon Emery, they say that. Yeah, that their God is going to restore his Israel people and begin to set up his earthly kingdom from which Jewish missionaries will go out to preach the gospel all over the world. Of course, that'll never happen. Uh, the, the idea that the Jews will... Uh, it's, it's interesting, they have uh, conflicting testimonies that the Antichrist is supposed to come from the Jewish people and the salvation of the world is supposed to come from the Jewish people. And of course... Only the former is true, (laughs) okay, because they are not Israel. He continues, other ministers claim this Jerusalem is a heavenly city located somewhere other than on the earth. Okay, that's the basic two perceptions. The first being Jewish, the second being Christian, Judeo-Christian. One of the major sources of confusion in today's preaching comes from ministers who are unable to separate historical biblical cities from prophetic cities of the Bible. They do fairly well on Babylon since the actual city has been destroyed and exists no more in the earth. So, when Babylon is used in prophecy, they realize it must be something other than the old city. Excellent point. Why do they understand it with regard to Babylon? Although the ruins, the archaeological ruins of the city of Babylon still exist and have been researched, dug up, etc. 
But the old city of Jerusalem, because it still exists, and because they falsely believe that the Jews are Israel, they simply assume that uh, there, there can only be a literal Jerusalem and not a prophetic Jerusalem. Pastor Sheldon Emery is absolutely correct that you have to keep these two concepts distinct, namely the literal city of Jerusalem and prophetic Jerusalem. Continuing with Pastor Emery, but with Jerusalem, they are fooled because the old city still exists and still carries its ancient name. They assume prophetic Jerusalem must have something to do with the old city of Jerusalem. It was Voltaire who was credited with the saying, If you would speak with me, define your terms. He realized that words must have an understandable meaning to both parties to a conversation, or one would be confused or deceived. And so it is with Jerusalem. I want you to follow me in the scriptures to find God's true meaning of Jerusalem, when he says, quote, For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. In Matthew 23, 37-39, we read the words of Jesus Christ, quote, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, for I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of Yahweh. I guess we haven't been saying that hard enough and often enough. With a chorus of Christian Israelites, my comment here, can you imagine the Jews calling on the name of Yahshua Messiah, Jesus Christ? Never. The fool hath said, quote, the Jews will all be converted just before the judgment day, unquote. Here, Christ was speaking to the city of Jerusalem that he was standing and looking at Jerusalem. The city that had killed Israel's prophets down through the centuries. And he said, Jerusalem, your house is left unto you desolate. He could not have been speaking of prophetic Jerusalem, for that has a glorious future. Nor could he have been speaking to the stone streets, the cobblestone streets, and the stone walls. He was speaking to Israel of Jerusalem. That's who he was speaking to. And yes, the Israel people did participate in the execution of many of the prophets and even some uh, some kings. So we see that the, the, the Israelites, under the influence of those kikes that always come in and <laughs> we throw them out and they keep coming back in, those kikes, those Edomites, always infiltrate our governments, our societies, our churches, etc., etc., until one last time they will be kicked out, never to return. And that will happen with the second coming of Yahshua Messiah. First heading after these introductory words, The Lord shall yet choose Jerusalem. I will quote some scripture verses used by those who insist that the old city of Jerusalem will be the Jerusalem that will be chosen and blessed of God. They are in the first chapter of Zechariah. Quote, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with great jealousy. Now Zion, of course, is a reference to the government of true Israel. I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it. The Lord shall yet comfort Zion and yet shall choose Jerusalem. So, has he chosen the literal city of Jerusalem yet, with all those kikes there, with the abomination of desolation residing there? I don't think so. Pastor Emery uh, continues, These are phrases from verses 14 through 17, and those who quote them say they mean that God will set up the temple, his house, at some future time in the old city of Jerusalem. But there are other phrases in the same verses which must be considered. I will add them here in their context. Quote, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, my cities, 
through prosperity, or good, shall yet be spread abroad. Okay. And Yahshua said, You shall not have gone over the cities of Israel until the Son of Man be come, meaning that the Israelites will build so many cities that the missionary work to these Israelite cities will not even be finished by the time he returns. Old Palestine, how many cities of magnitude are there in Old Palestine? Jerusalem? Maybe Samaria? I don't know how big that city is anymore. But quite literally, there's only one big city, (laughs) one real city, in all of Palestine. And even if you count all the cities, it would have taken the Israelite missionaries, in in this case, the apostles, uh, six months (laughs) to, to go over all the cities of ancient Palestine. No, the New Jerusalem and true Israel are scattered all over the planet, and we have built the nations prophesied unto Abraham that his descendants will produce many nations, and the USA is one of those nations, a company of nations, to fulfill yet another prophecy. Emery continues, Then comes, quote, And the Lord shall yet comfort Zion, and shall yet choose Jerusalem. Since the phrase spread abroad was spoken through Zechariah while he was in Old Palestine, it could mean places other than Old Palestine. Indeed it could. Christ also gave some indication that the cities of Israel would be in great number and cover... Oh, he quotes it here, I believe. Yes, he does. Uh, In Matthew 10 are his well-known instructions to the twelve disciples. In verse 6, he tells them, Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Don't uh, try to convert the entire planet. They shall hear the prophecies of the Bible, of the Holy Scriptures. That does not mean we need to convert them to our religion. In fact, we can't. We can't bring them in under the covenant. That's impossible. Paul in Galatians 3.16 asserts, uh, actually the whole of Galatians chapter 3 repeatedly asserts that the covenant made with Abraham and Abraham's descendants cannot be changed, cannot be annulled. So no, nobody other than genetic Israel can be included in these covenants. Let's continue. And then in verse 23, he says, For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. The disciples could have gone over the towns in Old Palestine in a matter of weeks, and missionaries could still do so today. But if the cities of Israel were to be spread abroad to be a great number, it could not be done so quickly. In fact, the prophecy says it will not be finished, even by the second coming. We must also take into consideration that Zechariah, as a prophet to Israel, spoke not only to those in the Babylonian captivity, but to the millions of Israelites who were at that time in the Assyrian lands and never returned to Jerusalem or Palestine, and we must also include the millions of Israelites in Ireland, Britain, Germany, France, the um, Rome, Peloponnesus, the descendants of Zerah, Judah, had settled in these places, uh, Spain, had settled in these places since 1500 B.C., having left the captivity in Egypt well before Pharaoh's Judah and Moses went through the, the cloud, under the cloud of the Exodus. So our people have been inhabiting Europe for well over 3,500 years. Well over 3,500 years. And that's not the Jews. The Jewish dispersion did not occur until 70 A.D. when the Romans destroyed the temple. That's why Yahweh had the Romans destroy the temple, to to scatter the Jews, to minimize their influence, and to a, a foreshadowing of the final judgment. Continuing, we must also take into consideration that Zechariah, 
uh, okay, sorry, I read that already, uh, that, the, that Zechariah's prophecy above was not fulfilled by the return of less than 45,000 Israelites, Judahites, he means to say, it says Jews here, but it means Judahites, from Babylon under Ezra and Nehemiah will be clear as we go. Also, what the Jerusalem is that the Lord shall yet choose is made clearer by reading on in the next verses from the same prophet. Next heading, an angel will measure new Jerusalem. Read on in Zechariah 2, 1 through 4, quote, I lifted up mine eyes again and looked and behold a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then said I, Whither goest thou? And he said to me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is the breadth thereof, and what is the length thereof. And behold, the angel that talked with me went forth, and another angel went out to meet him, and said unto him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls for the multitude of men and cattle therein. This reflects Ezekiel's prophecy that Israel will inhabit a a land that has cities without walls. Same prophecy, different prophet. That is quite a description. Towns, plural, and many men and cattle were to be in it. This is the Jerusalem of prophecy, and it is so large it took an angel to measure it. Maybe this was because it had been spread abroad, as was prophesied in Zechariah 1.17. In chapter 8 of Zechariah, and Zechariah has much to say about prophetic Jerusalem, we read in verse 2, quote, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I was jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I was jealous for her with great fury. Thus saith Yahweh, I am returned unto Zion, and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Well, he never returned to the city of Jerusalem, because the Ark of the Covenant has not been reestablished there. And it never will be, as long as the Jews control it, because they are not Israelites. He continues, so God says he will be in both Zion and Jerusalem. Zion is the seat of government. Jerusalem is the whole nation. Yes, Jerusalem is a metaphoric usage for the Israel people, for covenant Israel. And we quote, and Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth. And the mountain, you can't, you can't call the Jews a city of truth. And they're a city of lies and usury and violence and war. And the mountain of Yahweh of hosts, the holy mountain. This is similar to what we have in Isaiah 2 and Micah 4. Quote, the mountain of the Lord. It will help you to understand prophecy if you know that mountain usually means nation. Micah, Isaiah, Zechariah, and others are actually saying that prophetic Jerusalem will be the nation of Yahweh. Then in verse 7 of Zechariah 8, we read, Thus saith Yahweh of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. So, is there any righteousness to be found among the Jewish people? I don't think so. God is saying that my people Israel will be brought to this Jerusalem by him, and they will be his people in truth and righteousness, i.e., they will be Christians. Next heading. Preachers confuse Old City with New Jerusalem. Now, if we take these prophecies and attempt to put them in little old Palestine, we are in trouble. It is just not big enough. As these scriptures show, the Lord will dwell there. Zion will be there. Many from the East Country and the West Country. A multitude of men, East Coast and the West Coast. A multitude of men and cattle. Uh, What country has more cattle in America? Probably none. And it will spread abroad and be so large that angels will have to measure it. I have some statistics on the Jewish-occupied area of Old Jerusalem and Palestine that will show it is not the size of a multitude of people. 
Jerusalem, as it was set aside by the United Nations, has 289 square miles. It is about 20 miles long and 15 miles wide. That's about the size of the city of Chicago. Actually, Chicago is 30 miles long, north-south, and uh, maybe 10 miles wide. A similar area, almost exactly. Yeah. 30 times 10 equals 20 times 15. What would That would be about the size of Phoenix, Arizona, and its suburbs are twice the size of Baltimore. The entire country of Palestine, as established by the UN mandate, was 7,993 square miles, or 8,000 square miles. Since the so-called war in 1967, the area controlled has increased substantially, but even if they took control of several entire Arab countries, it would still be smaller than an average American state. That is hardly fitting for Zechariah's prophecy, is it? And there's many other prophecies about New Jerusalem that the Judeo-Christian ministers, teachers, pulpit masters do not understand or totally ignore. Next heading, Temple at Old Jerusalem to be like Shiloh. Okay, so we are seeing here, uh, Pastor Emery has this, has this nailed down, this topic nailed down, that there is a prophetic Jerusalem that is totally different from historic Jerusalem, the historical city of Jerusalem. And even in those days, Jerusalem had a metaphoric meaning, namely the covenant people Israel. It's not always a reference to the literal city of Jerusalem. Next heading, temple at Old Jerusalem to be like Shiloh. The confusion among ministers is also caused by their mistaken belief that God shows the old city of Jerusalem perpetually as the place where he would place his name. But like Shiloh, Jehovah's or Yahweh's presence there was conditional upon Israel obeying God. This is made very plain in Jeremiah 7, <clears throat> excuse me, where we read, quote, The word that came to Jer- Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Stand in the gate of Yahweh's house, that is the temple in Jerusalem, and proclaim there this word, say, Hear the word of Yahweh, all ye of Judah, that is the correct translation, not all ye Jews, All ye of Judah is the correct translation, that enter in at these gates to worship Yahweh. So God gave Jeremiah a commandment to speak to all those who worshipped at the temple. Verses 3 through 10 give a promise that if they obeyed Yahweh, they would then, quote, dwell in this place in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Okay, so, which I gave to your fathers. Well, gave prophetically. So this is not a reference to the city, the, the, the territories given to them historically, but prophetically. But even there, the, the lands given to us by Yahweh historically still belong to us. It's that the Jews have stolen them from us by pretending to be us, taking them in our name. There is an imposter in the house, folks. An an imposter. Emery continues, But then God accused them of disobeying and said, Is this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, saith Yahweh. But go ye now unto my place which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people Israel. Verses 11 and 12. Then God pronounced the fate of the temple at Jerusalem, quote, Therefore will I do unto this house, the temple, which is called by my name, wherein ye trust, and unto the place which I gave to you and your fathers, Jerusalem and Judah, as I have done to Shiloh. So, Again, we must always keep in mind the difference between the literal city of Jerusalem, the historical city of Jerusalem, and prophetic Jerusalem, and the metaphoric usage of the word Jerusalem, because it can mean the Israel people wherever they are. It can be a reference to the land that we dwell, we Israelites dwell in, such as the USA, such as Britain, such as Europe, etc., 
So we have to keep these prophetic and figurative meanings in mind as we read. Continuing with Emery. So in order to see what God has done to Jerusalem, we must see what he did to Shiloh. Its history as the place where God had set his name at the first starts in Joshua 18.1, quote, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of the congregation there, unquote. The Ark of the Covenant was there, and it was there that the high priest sacrificed to the God of Israel. Again, all of these all of these issues are to Israelites only. I think I don't think there's any disagreement among any historian, any preacher, Christian, Jewish or otherwise that Israel is Yahweh's people in the Old Testament. The confusion comes in the New Testament when they try to incorporate non-Israelites under the covenant, which cannot be done, as I said earlier. So, this continued for many years, for we read in Judges 18.30-31, And the children of Dan set up the graven image, and Jonathan, the son of Gershom, and the son of Manasseh, he and his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. This is the Philistine captivity. And they set them up Micah's graven image, which he made all the time that the house of God, that is the tabernacle, was in Shiloh. Okay, so Shiloh was also a literal place. But Shiloh also has a figurative or metaphoric and probably future prophetic meaning. Next heading here, God to forsake Shiloh. Then in 1 Samuel, we read the story of God's leaving Shiloh as he was later to leave Jerusalem. This is quite lengthy and requires the reading of all chapters 2 through 7. We will quote only a few verses because of space limitations. The story begins in 1 Samuel 2.12 with the sons of Eli. Quote, now the sons of Eli were the sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. Unquote. I think the sons of Eli are metaphoric for the house of Judah and house of Israel. Emery continues, Because of their abominations and the sins of Israel, the Lord appeared to Eli and among other things told him, but they are also literal sons, they were real people, but Yahweh is using them as an example to chastise the two houses. Because of their abominations and the sins of Israel, the Lord appeared to Eli and, among other things, told him, quote, Behold, the days come that I will cut off thine arm and the arm of thy father's house, that there shall not be an old man in thine house. It's interesting that in modern times, the old guys, such as myself, and the various pastors of the identity congregations in America and around the world. We're not, uh, the old guys aren't respected anymore. We had the generation gap, and there's youth culture that has been established in our presence among us by the international Jew and their worship of youth. Okay? For example, you always hear, <clears throat> excuse me, you always hear Hollywood actresses say, well, if you reach the age of 30 as an actress, you're done for. You don't get any roles until there's an old marm that has to be played. So then we might get another role. But men still play, uh, men of Hollywood, uh, they still play roles even into their old age if they don't lose their looks too soon. So, but yeah, that is true. Uh, among the modern generation, the respect for older men and older women, women has just gone out the window, totally gone. And, uh, you know, it's of course the young liberals who know better, right? They know better. Continuing. And this shall be a sign unto thee that shall come upon thy two sons on Hophni 
and Phineas. In one day they shall die, both of them. And, well, what was the day that America died, that the house of Judah and house of Israel, in modern terms, died? Well, we still were Britain and America, which uh, represent both the house of Judah and the house of Ephraim, or, or Israel, house of Israel. We were still the most powerful nations on the face of the earth until the end of World War II. But, of course, the undermining of the house of Israel in the modern times was the fulfillment of the prophecy by Isaac to Esau when he said to Esau, well, The day shall come when you will have dominion over your brother Jacob. And that happened at the Battle of Waterloo when, essentially, the seventh beast, Napoleon, was, take, uh, was taken over by the eighth beast, the house of Rothschild. It took the house of Rothschild quite a long time to develop its domination over all the Israel people, which was established by the United Nations, 1946, 1947, that era, right after World War II, that's when Esau took total dominion over his half-brother, <laughs> because the Edomite Jews only have a little bit, a tiny little bit, a fraction of a percentage of Israelite blood. The rest is all non-Israelite blood. So, so I, I believe the Hophni and Phinehas are representatives of the house of Israel and house of Judah. Then God tells Eli what will replace his habitation. Quote, and I will raise me up a faithful priest that shall do according to that which is in mine heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house. This was a reference to Samuel, okay, and obviously David, because it's in the prophecies of Samuel, First and Second Samuel, where the royal house of David is established. God then set about to carry out this promise of punishment to Eli and removing himself from Shiloh. In chapter 4, the Philistines won a battle against the Israel armies, and Israel made a decision. 1 Samuel 4.3, And when the people were come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath Yahweh smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of Yahweh out of Shiloh unto us that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies, unquote. Instead of putting their trust in God, they put their trust in the physical ark. This is our problem, folks. We worship material things instead of the universal God, Yahweh, who, by the way, wrote the Ten Commandments and all the laws of Israel. Verses 10 and 11 tell uh, the results, quote, And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten, and they fled every man to his tent, and there was a great slaughter. For there fell of Israel thirty thousand footmen, and the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were slain, unquote. God's promise that the enemy would be in his habitation and that the sons of Eli would both be slain in one day had come to pass. So why did Father Yahweh allow this? Because the two houses have been rebellious since the days of the judges. Actually, those were probably the best days. That was before we had the kings. And uh, even when Yahweh allowed the kingdom, the royal house of David to be established. He prophesied that it would be a bitter pill for us to swallow because our kings would not be righteous kings. The vast majority have been unrighteous kings. Continuing with Emery. Eli died when he heard the news, and Phineas's widow was so shocked by the events that she was immediately delivered of her child. <laughs> That's a shock that she recognized the terrible disaster Israel is shown in the name she gave the baby. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken. Unquote. 
Okay, so at least his widow understood that the glory, that the Shekinah glory, the Holy Spirit, had departed from Israel. Not to actually be restored until Pentecost in 33 AD. Emery states, The Lord had departed from Shiloh. Shiloh being the housing of the Holy Spirit, the housing of Yahweh, and of course, the son of the father, Yahshua. Next heading, Rama, then Jerusalem. Chapter 7 shows that God then gave Samuel rule over Israel, but he did not worship at Shiloh, for we read in verses 15 through 17, quote, And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went from year to year in circuit to Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah and judged Israel in all those places. And our people have had the tradition of wandering judges and lawyers going from place to place, making rulings of lawsuits, uh, very common in America, uh, for you know, the judges to travel and for lawyers to travel from place to place because it was harder for the common people to all come to one big city. And his return was to Ramah, for there was his house, and there he judged Israel, and there he built an altar unto Yahweh. Psalm 78, 59-61 verifies this forsaking of Shiloh in this manner, quote, when God heard this, that Israel's abominations, he was wroth and greatly abhorred Israel, so that he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent which he placed among men, and delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hand. This was Yahweh's doing. Then verses 65 through 72 refer to the placing of his temple in Jerusalem under David and Solomon. Most Bible students know the story, so we will not recount it here. But the psalmist does verify that Shiloh was, Shiloh rather, was forsaken. A slip of the tongue, shallow, <laughs> right? Shiloh had become shallow. So if Jerusalem was to be as Shiloh, and if God's word is true, which it is, then the old city of Jerusalem is forsaken and deserted by the God of Israel forever, the literal city. The physical city. But Yahweh's Holy Spirit still resides among us. It resides among the remnant. Next heading. Old Jerusalem to be a curse to all the nations of the earth. But just so the same Bible students understand with perfect clarity that God has now forsaken the old city of Jerusalem and will never rebuild his temple there. We are that temple, folks. We are that temple, and we will remain that temple even with the coming down of the new Jerusalem from the metaphorical heavens and settle down on planet Earth. That's exactly what the book of Revelation says, that it will come down to the Earth, and his holy mountain will be established here. Again, Jeremiah is ordered by Yahweh to stand in the entrance of, to the temple in Jerusalem and say, quote, Thus saith Yahweh, If ye will not hearken to the words of my servants the prophets, whom I sent unto you, both rising up early and sending them, but ye have not hearkened, then I will make this house like Shiloh, and will make this city a curse to all the nations of the earth, unquote. And boy, is it a curse today! <laughs> Oh, boy, it is a total curse. This is the abomination of desolation. Jerusalem under the Jews. This is a double warning to the city and a promise of what the old city of Jerusalem would be at some time in the future. Christ confirms these promises is the next heading. Quote, now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, unquote, from Romans 15.8. The Apostle Paul is a two-seed line covenant Israel teacher. He is not a universalist. He has been misinterpreted and mistranslated so that to convey the impression that he includes the so-called Gentiles, 
presumably non-Israelites, to be brought in under the covenant. No, that is not true. Paul never says any such thing. Emery continues, Now these fathers here were the people of Israel, of course, and so we find Christ confirming this end of the temple and of old Jerusalem as the place where his name would be. Well, his name is within us, isn't it? He continues, we read in Jeremiah 7.11, quote, Is this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Unquote. This was followed by the promise to make it as Shiloh. In Matthew 21.12, by the way, this is proof that the New Testament is nothing but the confirmation of the Old Testament, which is the covenant message. In Matthew 21.12, and 13, we read that Christ personally entered the temple at Jerusalem, overthrew the tables of the money changers, and then said, quote, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And who were these Pharisees? Who were these money changers? They came from Babylon. My comment here. Solomon's temple was the house of Yahweh. It is not true that the Judahites believed that the name of Yahweh was too holy to be pronounced. That is a Jewish Talmudic teaching which has no place in our history and cannot be found in the Bible. What happened was that Judea, Samaria, Galilee, and the surrounding territories were conquered by Alexander the Great in 332 B.C. During the virtually continuous occupation of Judah and Benjamin by the Greek and Roman empires, the temple rituals were either outlawed or restricted by various kings and commanders of these two empires. And Greek or Roman gods were promoted by their respective leaders. The temple priests could not pronounce the name of Yahweh in public without incurring the wrath of these heathen invaders. Ultimately, the temple high priest would only whisper Yah's holy name when he was inside the Holy of Holies. When the Idumean, that is non-Judahite, Herod, was put over Judah by Rome, Herod slaughtered the indigenous Sanhedrin and replaced them with his Idumean stooges, the Pharisees. This is from Antiquities of the Judahites, Book 14, Chapter 9, Paragraph 4. It was these very same Edomite Pharisees who desecrated the temple with their money-lending, as Jews have always been money-lenders. There is never an instance of Israelites having a bank in the Old Testament, because Israel is not to practice usury. Certainly, they never established a bank, a usurious bank. Only the Jews established that. Josephus confirms the gospel record of this usurpation by the Pharisees when he states, quote, The Pharisees have delivered the people a great many observances by succession from their fathers which are not written in the law of Moses. Underline the word not. Underline the words their fathers and the word not. Let me repeat. The Pharisees have delivered the people a great many observances by succession from their fathers, which are not written in the laws of Moses. This is Antiquities of the Judahites, Book 13, Chapter 10, Paragraph 6. What more proof do you need that Judaism is not the religion of Israel or Judah? Judaism did not exist before the Pharisees imposed their traditions upon the Holy Scriptures. Hence, Judaism began as Talmudism. I state this categorically and defy anyone to prove this wrong. It is simply not true, as is taught by virtually the entire world of Jewish, Christian, and secular scholarship, that Judaism already existed before the Idumean Pharisees invented it. Judaism has always been contra Moses. A mere perusal of the Talmud exposes this as a fact. Just because a rabbi makes a claim does not mean that it is true. On the contrary, one should always presume anything a rabbi says to be a lie, unless further investigation proves otherwise. The suppression of the holy name was begun by the Greek Seleucids, followed by the Romans, and then by the Pharisaic Jews under Herod. Josephus records the fact that Herod worshipped Canaanite gods and even built a temple in their honor. Herod's actions against the law of Moses are detailed in Book 15, chapters 8 through 11. 
it was by reason of this continuous occupation by non-Judahites why, in the New Testament, the name of Yahweh is rarely mentioned. Even Yahshua, for fear of the Jews, referred to him in public as the Father. One more quote here from the article. Oh, maybe I can uh, squeeze in the rest of this uh, heading. After spending some time teaching in the temple, he then, this is Emery speaking again, he then left the temple and later pronounced on the city of Jerusalem, quote, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of Yahweh. Okay. We need to be saying this, repeating this often. Matthew 23, verses 38 and 39. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of Yahweh. Two verses later, we read his sentence on the temple, Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Of course, that prophecy was fulfilled in 70 A.D. Christ never went back to the temple, says Emery. It was destroyed and burnt to the ground in 70 A.D. The temple became as Shiloh and Jerusalem as Ichabod. Well done, Sheldon Emery. Well done. The promise of God through his prophet Jeremiah was confirmed by Christ, and history verifies its fulfillment. Not only is the Lord's name Christ, Yahshua, Eli, not there anymore, but with much of the world's intrigue and tension centered in the Jewish state called Israeli, the old city is now becoming a curse to all the nations of the earth, as God had prophesied, Ministers who still insist the Jews will rebuild the temple, which they may, and that God will bless it, which he will not, have seen a, man, a vain vision and spoken a lying divination. Thank you, Pastor Emery. Take care, everybody. This is the introductory installment of Genesis to Revelation. See you next time on October 31st, Halloween night, for, or actually Halloween morning for the first in an episode on the book of Genesis. See you then. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.